today I have another special guest to talk about the fall of Roe. This is Tyler Hummel. How are you, Tyler? I'm doing good as uh, as much as I can be. How are you? I'm 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 good. Um, yeah. So, elephant in all of the rooms in all of the world, it seems, is the fall of Roe. Initial thoughts? The kind of, it's the kind of thing you just don't think is ever you ever thought you were going to see in your lifetime. It really doesn't seem real. Like, I, yeah, like I I mean I. Up until this week, I worked at a, a, a newspaper, and I was still doing papers, uh, like uh, stories at uh, crisis pregnancy centers. And like, you go, you go to those places, and there's always this kind of perceptive uh, sense that they're always fighting uphill, and that they're always going to be, you know, fighting downhill, fight that down the street from the Planned Parenthood that has the infinite amount of clout and power and money and support in the world, and there's nothing they can do it. And all of a sudden, this comes down, and just now it's like the walls of Jericho are just breaking down and address in like real time and it's really hard to process i think now is going to be the time where we really get to see whether people were serious because i we've seen republicans run on the pro-life platform for a long time and not do anything ostensibly because they couldn't because roe was in place and now i think we're going to see are you just going to keep running on this forever or are you going to actually do something about it now I think on the state level, we're definitely going to see something. The trigger, I mean, at least I, I think it's between 20 and 26 states have the trigger laws currently enacted. Mm-hmm. So um, a, a huge section of the South and the Prairie states, um, abortion is going to be illegal by the end of July. So mm-hmm. if not already, I think it's, I think in a couple states, it's already been uh, officially canned. But I have no idea if that means if you run a Planned Parenthood in Texas, if that means that you have to if you just got fired or what, but I don't, it, I, I don't think Planned Parenthood is going to shut down in any of those states. I think that they're just going to retool. It's so interesting that you mentioned that because even in states like Tennessee, where there's a whole month before the trigger law is actually taking effect, we're seeing Planned Parenthood's actually shut down, which is really strange considering that they claim that abortion is such a small part of what they do. That's true. I mean, well, in Tennessee is, a, is interesting because there aren't that many Planned Parenthoods already at the moment. They've been, mm-hmm. uh, the state's really, really been cracking down on them. I think there's only like three Planned Parenthoods and maybe a handful of the uh, off-brand uh, non-abortion uh, clinics that aren't part of the Planned Parenthood network. But back back when the leak happens, uh, I sat in on a press conference from the, uh, the the Planned Parenthood for Mississippi and Tennessee. And they said that they're going that they're they're going their pivot is essentially they're going to turn all the Planned Parenthoods in the South into travel centers. So they're going to so if you go you go to Planned Parenthood, they're they're, they're just going to hand you paperwork that says here's how you book a flight to Illinois. And so, huh. and, and so they're not going to shut down. They're still going to do their thing. They're still going to be encouraging abortions, but they're but they're going to be just retooling, and they'll probably end up shipping most of their abortion doctors out of the state. Interesting. Because ostensibly, there's a lot of good things that Planned Parenthood does. I've heard people mention mammograms. I've heard people mention, I, one guy on Twitter said that they helped um, facilitate putting their child up for adoption, which is something that if, if they retool in that direction, I would be 100% supportive of that if they want to get involved in adoption. I don't know how much that's true, though. I mean, I, I, I take it. I'm taking this entirely from uh, Abby Johnson, the ex Planned mm-hmm. Parenthood, uh, uh, I guess, leaker for the lack of a better word. 
she, she yeah. swears up and down that they don't do any of that stuff in-house. Like, I, I, now, now, I could be wrong. I don't want to besmirch the, the fine name of Planned Parenthood, quote-unquote. But um, if, if what she says is true, then essentially they just use abortion as a, as a, as their, um, as a product. Like they, that's their thing. That's the thing they're trying to sell. They're always trying to upscale. Now, granted, that's this is coming from someone who has a decided ideological bent against Planned Parenthood. So if there is evidence that or stories of people who go to Planned Parenthood and just say, I want a mammogram, I want, um, adopts information. I'm sure that, that it, it probably exists. But, you know, Planned Parenthood's entire business model is based on a portion. So that, it, without that, yeah. they're going to have to really fall back on something else. Absolutely. Um, wow, there's so many things to cover. Okay, here's a question for you. Obviously, we, we had the leak. We, we knew that there was a chance that this was coming. Um, was there a difference between your emotion and thought and reaction to the leak and when it actually came to fruition? Um, that's an interesting question. Because when the leak happened, it felt too good to be true. It, mm -hmm. felt like, it felt like something that wasn't a sure thing. And as time kind of went along, it seemed like it wasn't actually, it, it, there was a lot of room for it to change. It felt like, you know, as Matt Christensen said in one of his recent podcasts, like every week that went by was another week that Alito or... Uh, Kavanaugh or Roberts could change his mind and flip mm -hmm. the vote and suddenly we're back uh, you know they just dismissed the case and nothing happened and it was all just a completely fruitless thing or nothing came of it so yeah. if, if anything's just coming out of it, it like, like I said earlier the, the, my my reaction to it thus far has been one of general this almost disbelief like it doesn't feel real yet it doesn't I it won't feel real until we start seeing it, how this starts affecting people on the ground but it, it but it, it if it if everything does come to pass that does that is supposed to it's going to be incredibly uh powerful to watch play out and it's going to obviously it's going to create externalities that we're going to have to address but it's something we're but we have to but we are going to have to kind of figure out how to address these issues going forward Absolutely. This is something moving forward that not only are we fighting this politically state by state, but also um, if there was ever a time to donate to your local pregnancy resource center, uh, now is now is it because ostensibly they're at least in states that are outlying abortion, they're going to with greater numbers than they've ever seen before. So if we're if the pro-life community is really serious about about this, then we do what we've always been accused of not doing right. We've always been accused of only caring about the babies while they're in the womb and not caring about born children. Um, but we've, we've built over the last several decades an incredible infrastructure of pregnancy resource centers. So I like to see churches devote more resources to, to local resource centers and just recognize that there is going to be a need that needs to be met by the people who thought to create this outcome right there's also going to be a temptation to not do that though because now that we've had the big victory like everyone's saying now that the fight uh, is just starting right now which means we have to we have to take it all to the states which is true but there's also going to be a temptation to not uh fund any of the anti-abortion alternatives that we had uh going during the during the last 50 years as roe was a thing i mean mm. the crisis pregnancy center movement was 
spearheaded by pro-life activists who wanted an alternative to abortion. And now that that's, that abortion is going to be off the table in most of the red states, it raises the question, are those people going to still turn out for the, to help crisis pregnancy centers? This is actually something I'm trying to, I'm trying to book a podcast with one of my colleagues who runs the crisis pregnancy center down in Tennessee. And I, this is something I want to talk to her about. Like, is this, I, what do you see as your as your role in the future at this point? Like, do you, and do you see a windfall of uh, money? Do you see people just dropping off? Do you see the movement kind of faltering and re, and resources kind of getting harder to get access to? Because that's really the worst outcome of all this. Like, we don't we don't want to wind up in the scenario where we fall into the into the progressive trap where suddenly we get you know we get pro babies, but not actually taking, we don't, but don't have any sort of apparatus to help care for people. Because if we want to be, if we generally want to be a society where we trust pro-life values, then we need that religious infrastructure in place to actually care for women that are going to struggle with their pregnancies or struggle with caring or supporting a baby. And if we get rid of the pregnancy centers, we're getting rid of one of the only tools we have for that at the moment. Yeah. Yeah. I would like to see, Oh, I would hate to see it go that direction to just say, we won. Now it sucks to be you if you're if you're a hoe, (laughs) Um, which is a lot of the attitude of conservatives and has been for a long time. Um, It's it's incredible to me to watch Christians act with such a lack of not just compassion, but a lack of understanding of what the Bible even says and means about sin there is so much that that jesus says about um how you interact what is the appropriate way to interact with somebody else's sin with the recognition that you are also a sinner and we have seen for a long time i've heard a lot of stories about people kind of being cast out of their churches or shunned by their churches because they uh got pregnant or some other one of the big no-no sins. And I've always felt like if you are the kind of, if you are a person who exerts your Christianity to make someone's life unbearable if they mess up and get pregnant, then you're not as pro-life as you think you are. If you're creating the perverse incentive that leads someone toward an abortion, if you're the kind of, uh, for example, the school I, I went to uh, expelled two students during my time there for getting pregnant. And I'm like, if, if that's what you do, um, I understand, I understand sticking to your values as a, as a Christian school, but at the same time, uh, you create a situation where it would be really, you create a problem that someone is going to want to fix with abortion. And so kind of juggling that sort of thing moving forward. Exactly. There has to absolutely be some sort of apparatus. I mean, obviously, it was a much greater social taboo 100, 200 years ago if you got pregnant mm-hmm. out of wedlock. Nowadays, it's, you know, one in three babies or one in two babies or something like that. It's so common nowadays where, yeah. especially outside of the church, but if, if but the church really needs to, as a whole, needs to figure out ways to be there. And a lot of that ultimately comes down to the recognition that that if you did are having a baby out of wedlock, you didn't have any, make a mistake and you do need, you need to address the consequences of that. Mm-hmm. I mean, I just did a, I just did a, a cover story for Main Street Nashville this, uh, this past Friday of a, a woman down in, uh, 
Tennessee who went to uh she actually went to uh, I don't know if you're familiar with this but she went to the uh the church that was destroyed in the 2010 uh Tennessee floods which oh. is very famous because there was CNN footage of it floating down the Cumberland River but oh, wow. uh, but this woman uh in back in 1996 she was a college freshman with a basketball scholarship and she got pregnant she didn't mm -hmm. she thought she got the, she was she thought the guy she was with was going to marry her or she mm -hmm. he did she he ended up marrying her in the end but at the time he's like we're gonna get married in a year you know it's not a big deal but she got pregnant and she ended up taking it to her or her father and well at one, at one point she wanted to get an abortion but she decided you know i'm not going to do that took it to her father and who, who was the pastor of the church and she just broke down crying and said you know i I have failed you. I'm going, I'm embarrassing the family. I've did everything. I've done everything wrong. I possibly could do wrong. I hope you can forgive me. And the father just picked her up and said, I, I don't have any words, but I love you. And mm -hmm. he ended up taking her in front of the entire congregation that night. And he personally took responsibility and said, I failed my daughter. I didn't do something right now. And now she's, now she is where she is. And she turned that down and said, no, this is my decision. I messed up. And the entire church just came around in the, you know, mm -hmm every single person climbed on stage and just prayed over her. Like there, we, like we need that kind of support for yeah. people in the churches who get in that place, but that, that sense of affirmation that yes, we all sin. We all come to these mistakes. We all have these moments of temptation and failure. And sometimes it fails worse than other people. And we have lifelong consequences with that failure, but mm -hmm. it is the recognition of the moments where we move past it, that it's actually, we that we show our best self and obviously in her case she had that she still had her baby she got married she ended up having um five more biological kids and and uh seven adopted kids and you know she's better for it now having lived that life and kind of embraced embraced that moment and recognized her mm -hmm. sin and i can't imagine she would ever want to go back and consider what her life would be like if she didn't do that so it, it that's what the church needs to do. It's obviously if, if someone is coming into your church, you know, repeatedly and making the same sin, that's very different than someone who makes a sin once and gets cast out. I've right. met I've been in I've been in church situations where someone was publicly and flagrantly committing the same sin over and over again. And mm -hmm. after months, uh the leadership said, Please leave. You're not you're not obeying the rules. Which right. but that but that's obviously not legalism. The difference is we can't. We, we need a church culture that recognizes that breaching the breaching our social taboos once and re, and regretting it is mm -hmm. the right the right way to approach that issue. Yeah, uh, here are two different examples to that. Um, the first would be there was a. I, I think church should go much much harder on divorce, but oh yeah. It's there are two people involved, and and I have one friend whose whose parents got divorced, and it was entirely his dad's decision to leave. His mom very much wanted to work and keep the marriage intact, um, and her church family cast her out. And it's so that seems wildly unjust when you know, this isn't even her sin that she's being punished for. Um. But obviously, obviously, there are good churches out there who who aren't 
who aren't like that. But I can see where a lot of this hatred for, for Christians has grown up from because some of the most horrible uh, deep betrayals have happened in the context of, of church. And I can understand why people feel that way. And I think that this is, is a chance for us to start changing that, to start showing this is the good that church can do. This is kind of our redemption arc. I would love to see that. Um, but the other example is uh, there is a very conservative organization that I know is run by very, very pro-life people in this area. And I had a friend who was working there at the time and had a pregnancy scare and really strongly, even though she's conservative and a believer, really strongly considered abortion in, in the fear of that moment, because not only would she have been pregnant, but she would have lost her job. And that kind of desperate situation, I think we absolutely as Christians and believers should never have been creating. I mean, that's a very common experience. Like there's, a, if you go on like some parts of a leftist Twitter, you'll see a lot of examples. I know H bomber guy did a recent, at a recent thing where he, he talked about a friend of his who was 1000% anti-abortion. And the moment he knocked up a woman, he dragged her to an abortion clinic against her, against her desire. And they convinced, convinced her to abort it, which you know, that's a very cruel thing to do, but mm -hmm. it's very, when I talk to the crisis pregnancy center people, they say all the time, like they meet religious women, they meet conservative women, and they're just completely distraught. Like they're in their mm -hmm. lowest moment of their entire life. They're scared. They have, don't they, they think their life is over. They think that their reputation is destroyed and they want it all to go away. They want, they want to go back to their old life Yeah, and they can and they consider abortion, which in that moment, it's completely understandable. It's it's completely understandable to you know be in your lowest point and consider wanting to take the easy way out. Yeah. And and, it, it, and I don't blame any woman that gets in that scenario. Now I don't think it's a good option to do it. I prefer there are you ha a woman has multiple options. She doesn't just have to carry the term. Mm -hmm. or she doesn't just have to abort. I mean, but it's it's it understanding the emotional appeal is part of the challenge of. The, of this entire ethical debate because i think a lot of for, the, for a lot of the pro-choice people that is more or less the entire emotional argument or the entire moral argument is you know that it's not fair that women have to have that burden it's and it's not and it isn't fair it's not fair that women have to you know can make one mistake or something can happen to her that she didn't choose and now she has mm -hmm. to carry a baby to term it's not it's not fair that you know i i've heard stories of human trafficking victims who were you know they're forced to do their thing and then their their pimps drag them and get to have them and have abortions performed on them multiple times like mm -hmm. that's not fair to women like none of this is fair to women but it's the realities of the of a gender it's the realities of biological sex that this act creates it creates life and right. you know every everything and we and we've seen the descent that happens when you go down that path where people are screaming in the streets that they that you know, postnatal abortion is a human right. So, yeah, yeah, it's interesting. Oh, I do want to talk about about how the pro-choice argument has shifted, um, because it used to be that they claimed it's not a life. You're, you're, it's not murder because you're not taking a life. A fetus isn't actually alive. A fetus isn't actually a human. And now the argument, at least the one I'm seeing more and more predominantly, is. Yes, it's a human, but I'd, I don't have to be responsible. This, this person's been hooked up to me on life support without, you know, against my will. 
I shouldn't have, I should be allowed to kill in self-defense. I think Jack Posobiec posted an article that was kind of an argument for abortion as self-defense, which is absolutely insane because you could absolutely apply that argument if it was accepted. You could apply it uh, all the way up until adulthood of kids, really. Well, a lot of that, a lot of the arguments are post-talk. I mean, the, the, real, the, the problem with abortion as a moral issue is if you just completely divorce it from any level of, of preconceived prejudice is that it's, 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 it's two principles clashing into each other. It's, mm-hmm. it's the principle of I am an adult and I deserve, and I, I have the right to a free and autonomous life. And I, and what, and what does it mean to be a human being? Those mm-hmm. questions, uh, and, I mean, as our, as our friend Matt Walsh reminds us, Questions that are very simple are often and how often really fall apart when you get when you try to hit hit their epistemological ground level, and people yeah. don't like and people don't like hit like um don't like giving those definitions. So, if you for the progressive standpoint, abortion is is a is necessary because it's necessary to protect women's ability because because women's ability to have free autonomy in their bodies and their lives is the is the most important sacrament of their belief system. Mm-hmm. And if they if they're burdened with the fact that every time they try to embrace their sexual liberation that they're going to get pregnant, that's going to bog down their process. So everything that ends up defending uh, abortion ends up as a post hoc of that, or or it's a in in, in the more sensible levels, it, you get the more safe the safe legal and rare argument, which as far as moral arguments isn't the worst one in the world. Like really, the only justifiable argument for abortion is it's a bad thing, but we're keeping it to keep worse thing, keep worse realities from um, running rampant, which as our, as our, as our Catholic friends would remind us is absolutely terrible moral philosophy, but, right. <laughs> it, but at the very least, it's an understandable uh, attitude if you want to go from a strict pragmatic uh, standpoint, but right. obviously everything that's come out since has just completely uh, uprooted that it's not safe, legal and rare. Now it's, on demand all the time up to birth and occasionally after birth if uh, if, our, mm-hmm. if the former government governor of virginia is any indication or the current governor of uh, california is any indication where you know it's considered on um, it's a uh, widely considered that it's possible to have postnatal abortions where you just throw a baby in a closet and let it die which holy crap when you get to that, that level you, your your principles have broken down you're no longer defending a moral position you are you are obeying a, an extremely violent dogma that is that is that is like you have you have lost touch in reality if that is your actual principle like if you mm-hmm. if, and, and and that's really the problem is that it's gone off the rails it's no it's no longer a defensible moral argument it's it is something that you must defend because it is the the, the moral center of the progressive worldview it, i mean it's really the highest center of that because there's you there's nothing that the progressive uh worldview holds in more adoration than abortion like this is it mm-hmm. this is their this is their eucharist and yeah. the fact that they, they just yeah, absolutely a sacrament and so is i would say um gender reassignment gender quote-unquote affirmation i think is is emerging as another sacrament i don't think it'll ever be as uh pungent as the as the as the abortion sacrament, though, because this 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 really is the the A plus ultra. Yeah. I mean, there's, I mean, I, I, and obviously something like the, uh, what what is the proper word for uh, the gender question? Um, the transgender movements and the gay rights movements 
those things are extremely high priorities for the left. Yeah. But at the very least, like, there's a libertarian argument to be made, like, hey, let gay people go live in their own, like, thing and right. don't don't let, let don't let them bother themselves and you know what they're not they're not they're not breeding so what, do you, what does it matter but <laughs> but it's but at the same time like abortion has a very clear uh effect i mean we the, the left likes to brag that like half of all abortions are in the black community and that has had a sizable and noticeable effect like they're like my one of my, i have black friends who are very pro-life we talk about this all the time where they're like the, the the black population in America dropped to twelve percent because of the number of abortions they're having. Like it's actively lowering their population. It's actively making it harder for them to, you know, have subsequent generations. And wow. and and and, and, and progressives are proud of this. Like they're proud of the fact that black women come out uh, come out and uh, embrace them as much as they do. They, and even though you know everyone, as everyone likes to say, uh, Margaret Sanger was a racist. But, yeah. Yeah. But, then, but but then when you know every once in a while you get the progressives uh, you push them a little bit hard and then they'll they'll drop an argument like well ever since abortion was uh, uh started uh, crime has been dropping what isn't isn't that a good thing and I'm like do you really want to go down this path do you really want to really go down this and start investigating why that happens do you really want to like, you want are we going to go full eugenics here is this what we're are we back to the 1920s are we back to this great good job. It's so interesting how things come back up again, just with different branding. <laughs> really, yeah. And the, it's interesting to me, the projection of the left, where there is so much deep racism. Between 2020, um, when, I, when I veered more right, I had been, been kind of inching left a little bit. Um, and 2020 really woke me up. Where I started thinking, no, there's not institutionalized racism. And now I'm I'm like so far right, I'm looking at the left and saying, maybe there is over on your side. Not not institutionalized into laws, but maybe the elites that are that are how do I even say this? I think it's entirely possible that that black people see the racism in the Democrat party and assume because they are told this, that it has to be worse on the right. That if, if even their own side is this awful to them, uh, it's gotta be a million times worse over on the right. And just kind of, you know how you judge the world by the people closest to you. I wonder if there is more truth to some of the things that were said in 2020 than, that, than we assumed at the time, because we were, kind of seeing it played out now it, it really depends where you go i mean i mean i live down south where you know every corner has a confederate flag on it mostly despite <laughs> the state but i, I don't I, I haven't seen any genuine acts of hate or racism down here like the mm -hmm. only time i've ever seen anything that would qualify as a hate crime was when i was in downtown chicago and uh some blue collar uh dude was uh, harassing a, a muslim trying to do his prayers on the street like that was that's literally the only time i've ever seen anything that would qualify as a hate incident and mm -hmm. it was just a guy yelling and i'm like okay and so i i couldn't i couldn't tell you I, I, me being you know pale as a cracker i i have i have no i i, I cannot tell you what my what the um what the perspective is like of someone who is growing up in the south now versus right. someone who's growing up in the north 
but I definitely think that the culture you're raised in definitely gives you some sort of a sense of what you can expect, especially if you grow up in a culture that says you are going to fail because there's a group of people out there that hate you. Like that, right. that, that's going to prejudice you against any hope for the future. And yeah. And in a lot of ways, some of that's a self-fulfilling prophecy along with the cops are evil uh, one that you tell someone you can't trust a cop and then you're going to, the cop can read your mistrust. And sometimes these things kind of escalate because yeah. of the statement itself. So, yeah, it does, it, framing is a big part of all this. But I think it's so interesting that as, as abortion is outlawed, Black babies will live, and this is something that we have always wanted. The, the racist right has been fighting for black babies to live. Um, yeah, that's the, that's the great irony. Is that I mean, I, I can't. I'm I'm sure our uh, our Wignet uh, colleagues uh, are going to be a little bit confused, conflicted about that. But you know, the fact that we're not killing so many black babies is probably a good thing. And I, 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 I'm I'm gonna now I'm I'm waiting to see who disagrees with that sentiment. Now let's see who. Yeah. Uh, I have been disappointed. I've seen a few conservatives at the very least say, I wish that this decision hadn't come down before midterms. And I just over and over, I want to say, if if your conservatism doesn't conserve babies, what is the point of your conservatism? Like, this is the one thing that you can't trade out at all. True, and I think, uh, but I do think that five months of inflation is going to cool down any any uh, rage. So we'll see. <laughs> I, I think so too. Oh, you know, goodness. when you when in, back in November when you're paying eight dollars a, ga- a gallon for gasoline, I mean, is is it really going to matter at that point? Your entire life savings is going into your freaking gas tank. So yeah, it's it is insane, and the world is insane. But I think we all uh, have a right to feel the joy from this to not. Be too grim and just recognize the first time in a really long time we've had a massive earth-shattering win. And I think conservatives have forgotten how to win and have forgotten how to act when we do win. So I this is going to be an interesting shift for us, I think, moving forward. Yeah, I mean, it, it, it's kind of funny even even watching the uh, some of the slippery uh, neocons. Like, even, yeah. they're, even they're celebrating. Like, yeah, we, ha- we actually have a victory. Like, <laughs> The, the people that are normally like the conservative case for liberal victory are like, hey, we actually won. Yeah. It's kind of funny watching I, those, those people, uh, <laughs> you know, join us for a little bit. Yeah. I I want to see us uh, actually capitalize on this instead of uh, kind of <laughs> getting frozen in the paralysis of winning when you didn't expect to. Yeah. And we also have to be careful that we don't let the progressives take the upper hand in this because right now mm. they're calling for court packing and they want yeah. a, uh, they want a, to a, a Supreme uh, constitutional or a bill of rights amendments just for, for abortion. They, they're going to, they're going to do everything in their, uh, they can to over, to turn this around. And they're going to, mm. they're going to come up with every strategy they can think of to try to, uh, to drag this out or make it impossible or, or, or find nuances in the law that let them uh, obfuscate for as much time as possible. And we got to kind of be prepared for the depths of those attacks because they're going to come hard. And if, and if we don't, and if we're not careful, we could potentially lose this very quickly. Like if, if Biden actually did get a, a good Senate majority in the 2022 midterms mm-hmm. and suddenly he could add, um, Four, uh, uh, four new justices to the Supreme Court. I think he would. 
And if that happened, we would be we they would just have to send row up again and that we'd be back to back to square one. Yeah, that this could turn around really fast for for sure. Um Granted, yeah, they, would really, they, would have to, they would have to really overplay their hand, though, and that would be a that would be that would give us advantages if we decided to take them. So, yeah. we, but we but we would have to be very careful about saying, like, look how far they're willing to break the rule of law. These insurrectionists, how dare they, uh, <laughs> yeah. to to push their agenda forward? They're, it's almost it's almost like they're charging in mass towards the government and trying to take it over for some reason. Yeah. I love the juxtaposition of the January 6th hearings and and the calls for violence against the court and the calls for dissolving and packing and all of that. Just it's it is a beautiful thing <laughs> to oh, that, watch just the art of that play out. Oh, they're never going to pay any the, like suffer for any mean, uh, reasonable reason behind that. But yeah, the, the, hypo- the, the hypocrisy is naked at this point. Yeah. Well, uh, we are at time. Thank you so much, Tyler, for coming on. Will you just uh, say your Twitter handle for our listeners so they can go follow you? Yes, my Twitter handle is at AntisocialCriti. That's critic without the C at the end of it. And I'm a journalist with a bunch of different publications. So feel free to reach out and come and come look through my link tree. There's about a hundred different publications I've written for that you'd probably love as the reader. Thank you. That's awesome. And I am going to be meeting Tyler pretty soon in Nashville next week for the Daily Wire thing. So uh, this has been wonderful and I will see you on Twitter. Great. Thank you.